Hello, welcome to Hope Church Harrogate's Message of the Week. If you'd like to connect with us, please head over to hopeharrogate.co.uk forward slash connect. We'd love to hear from you. Oh, there we go. (laughs) So this morning I'm going to be sharing with you out of Hebrews 11, um, and it's called Listen, Trust, Act. And actually, very in line with the word that you brought this morning, Hannah, um, about how God just uses ordinary people. Um, and so this morning, I'm just going to share some stories from the Bible, from my own life, about how God can work in us and through us um, to, to, to bring his kingdom to earth. So um, if you would like to turn, first of all, to um, uh, Hebrews 11, and while you're doing that, um, just to give you an idea of it, if you don't know, it's, it's sort of a list of the heroes of the faith, and we, but in this section, we're just, this is in the New Testament, but we're just hearing about um, all their accomplishments and the highlights. It's like the highlight reel, like the kind of stuff you would post on social media. Um, so, so this week, um, we've had family staying with us, and so we were like all excited because we were like, oh, Saltburn's only an hour away, we have to go to the beach this week, and so we were like, let's go. And um, there wasn't really a day that it didn't rain, but we just went anyway because we were South Africans and we were pushing it through. And so off we went. And so then this is the photo I got and that I posted on social media. Doesn't that look wonderful? Having a great time at the beach. Everybody, woohoo! sent it to everybody, made everybody jealous. This is the other photo that I didn't send to everybody. <laughs> that was me taking the photo. That's what I actually looked like while I was taking that photo. Um, so, as you know, social media shows the highlights reel, not always the, all the reality behind the scenes. Um, so, yeah, we can change that now to Hebrew slides so that you don't have to keep staring at it. <laughs> um, so, we're going to be reading from Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 and 2 first. Um, now, faith is the confidence in what we hope for and the assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. Um, And if we go to verse 8, by faith Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. So uh, what the writer is referencing here are some of the big acts of faith that Abraham did, um, as we could say, the highlights reel. But if you were to read in Genesis 12 about Abraham, you'd actually see a bit more of the real story. So, of course, there were some amazing things. God spoke to him and told him to move from where he was and go to a land called Canaan. And he listened to the Lord. He left immediately. Um, He trusted and obeyed God, even though he didn't know where he was going. And he was 75 years old at the time. Um, and in case you think that, um, yeah, um, he also had a wife. Um, he had to, in case you think it was all like going to a nice place, he had to tell his wife that they were going to go to a place he didn't know where, and they were going to be living in a tent. Um, and they, neither of them had ever been there before. Um, but he, 
He listened to God, he trusted him, um, and he acted on, on what God told him to do. In the next big part of the story, we see that God promised him that he would be the father of many nations, but actually they were struggling with infertility, and they had to wait 25 years before they were able to have Isaac, their son. By the time they had that child, Abraham was 100 and Sarah was 90. Hence why they said Abraham was as good as dead when um, he had the child. Um, in the Hebrews version of the story, um, we read, um, and by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. Um, so even Sarah sounds amazing in this. But actually, what the writer in Hebrews hasn't told you about is actually chapter 13 to 20 from Genesis. So he's just told you some of the highlights. But actually, if you read 13 to 20, you'd see that a lot happened in those 25 years. Um, when they were en route, they had to go via Egypt twice. Um, Abraham told everybody that um, his wife was actually his sister because he didn't trust God to protect, the, to protect him. And, and God had to intervene and protect Sarah himself. Um, en route, there was fighting as well at certain times between Abraham and his nephew Lot. And um, so they, uh, they had to separate. Um, ten years in, Sarah actually gave up hoping and uh, trusting God for a son and um, sent her um, maidservant um, so that Abraham could have a child with her. And Abraham, instead of saying no and reassuring her, just went with the maidservant. Um, and they took matters into their own hands and, and had um, a child who wasn't the promised child that God had promised them. Um, and even just before, uh, 25 years in, when um, God sent them two angels who again reiterated the promise that God was going to give them a son, Sarah was um, found laughing um, in, in disbelief. Um, so and what I love about this passage is that despite all the fumbling and the failings and the stumbles along the way, God was faithful to them and he did what he promised. And when they are remembered now, we, we see them as heroes and God has just put the highlights reel in for all of us to see, which I'm hoping he's doing with all of us as well. I'm sure he is. So um, if we look again, at, as I said, with Abraham, he listened, he trusted, he acted. But sometimes I think the challenge in reading some of the Bible stories is that we go, oh, that, that sounds amazing. And then when we try it out in real life, it's actually really hard. And then maybe we start to think that maybe God hasn't spoken to us. We miss the Lord. Maybe this isn't what we should be doing. And we can end up giving up. Um, so I thought I would get, share um, some examples from my own life and the reality of actually doing this faith walk with the Lord um, and, and some of the things that you go through. Um, so let me just get a sip of water. Um, so when I was back in my early 20s, I was very happy in my career as a fashion designer. Um, and my, I was in my early 20s. I was a single girl living great life in Cape Town. And I felt the Lord begin speaking to me about... Um, about the poor in South Africa. And at that stage we had, it's probably even worse now, but at that stage we had 25 to 30% of the population unemployed. There actually just aren't enough jobs for people. Um, and we also only had 5 million taxpayers with 15 million people on benefits. So you can imagine what that is like to live in as a society and the level of, of poverty and hopelessness um, that you can often be um, surrounded by. 
And so over about 18 months, I went back and forth with the Lord, sort of feeling as he, the nudge, feeling him preparing my heart, but not really knowing what to do um, until, until it got to a point where I felt clearly. And I remember a distinctive weekend where I knew God had spoken to me about starting um, a charity to, to help the poor, um, which meant leaving my job um, and a lot of other things. And um, I'll never forget that weekend because I basically cried the whole weekend. And, and I said to the Lord, God, no, are you mad? This is huge. I mean, what you're asking me for is my whole life. I mean, I, 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 I'm going to um, tank my career. I've got, I'll have no income. And even worse, no one's ever going to marry a charity girl. You know, at least if I was a fashion designer, I was kind of cool if I went to like a barbecue or something. But now, I mean, what am I going to say? Oh, I work for a charity. I mean, that's not even cool anymore. And so, um, and then I, and of course, the Lord, as he does, um, just answered me with a picture of Jesus on the cross. And I was like, oh, man, <laughs> powerful, but annoying. Um, so, so I said to the Lord, okay, right, I will give you six months. Um, and I, I quit my job. My parents, there's my mom over there, she will testify to this, she kindly let me move in back home without paying rent for six months. And um, at, at this point, all I had was my vision and plan written out on a piece of paper. <laughs> and I was like, right, I'm going to start this thing called the Hope Factory. We're going to provide training for unemployed people. We're going to provide job creation so they can have a chance to get work experience. And then I'm going to also help people start their own businesses um, and, um, and, and grow their businesses. So sounded lovely. The only problem was I had no money, no venue, no people who I even knew wanted to come on this program that I had created, um, no volunteers, and no real training myself in development because actually I was trained as a fashion designer. So obviously it felt like a huge risk. Um, but I had also got to the point where I thought, um, you know, I would, I would the, the what if became more of a a worry for me than the what if I fail, the what if I never try became bigger. And, and I, my biggest fear was that one day I would get to heaven and stand before God and God would say, let me see if I can balance this here. That isn't what God would say. Um, God would say, um, this is what you, this is your life. Well done, Liz. Very comfortable, very nice, lovely life. Um, but actually, this is what you could have had. This is what you could have done. These are the people's lives you could have touched. This is what could have happened. This is the adventure we could have had together. And I would just have been heartbroken if, if I had missed out on all that God had for me. And, and so the risk of missing out on what God had for me was bigger than the risk of failure. Um, and so... Yeah, so, so luckily I had some good friends as well who, who prayed with, we prayed together every week, and, um, so, and, and we prayed through each step. So the first thing we needed was a venue. So I called up my old church, the Church of England that I used to go to, and I asked if we could use their garage, which had a little carpet in it, and they said, yes, you can, but the choir practices there in the evenings, so you need to take everything home every night that you use, and so that meant putting everything into my little golf, taking it back to my mom and dad's house and putting, carrying it all inside into the bedroom and climbing over everything to get into my bed to go to sleep at night. But okay, that was okay. The next step though was, does anyone actually even want to come on this program? And um, 
you know, I was like, oh, this is insane. How do I even reach a community? I can't even speak Hausa, and I don't live in the community with the people I'm trying to reach. Um, but luckily, I knew um, a pattern maker, Solly, who I used to work with as a fashion designer, and he was in the, in the local community, spoke the language. And so he went on to the local radio for me and, and just told people about what, what we were offering. And the next thing, uh, the phone started ringing off the hook. I mean, I was hoping for 10 people to come on the program. We had over 100 inquiries on the first day. So that was really encouraging. Um, the only problem was I only had one sewing machine, and that was part of what I was training in. So we're doing like technical skills, business skills, life skills training, like a three-month training program, and part of that was needing 10 sewing machines um, and some supplies and some volunteers, which I still didn't have. But I knew that... Um, we were having a women's conference at our church um, uh, in a couple of weeks' time, um, but for a thousand women. So it was a great opportunity to be able to share, but you know, these conferences are planned way in advance, and the chances of getting a time slot at that stage was very slim. Um, but I, I felt the Lord say, go, we prayed, I went and asked, could you give me three minutes? Um, and they graciously did, and I was able to get up and share my heart and what we were trying to do. And at the end of that, I had um, three volunteers who were with me as the core team for the next five years and 10 sewing machines that day. Um, the only challenge was that I still didn't have the supplies that we needed, but I had my credit card, which had a 500-pound limit. Um, <laughs> I'm not, not saying anyone else should do this, but um, so... Um, we were starting on the Monday, this was the Thursday. So on the Friday, I was like, well, God, you've got to find a way to pay this. And I went and I bought all the supplies, 500 pounds on my credit card. Um, and the next morning, Saturday, I got a call um, and to, uh, from my pastor's wife to say um, that Solani Tumbo, who was Oliver Tumbo's daughter, she was the guest keynote speaker. Um, she wanted to give me her honorarium for the Hope Factory of 500 pounds. Isn't God amazing? So, and that's just how, how we started. Um, right. um, but so the next few months were really hard and amazing and stressful and wonderful and miraculous um, because it was a faith adventure. And, um, you know, most of the time, the Lord never provided nicely before the time. We always had to step out and then the provision would come. Um, but he also was always faithful. I mean, there were times where I used to be down to my last five pounds and wonder whether I should spend it on toilet paper or airtime uh, for, for the organization. And just so you know, I went with the toilet paper. <laughs> and my way around the airtime was to pretend that I was to miss call people and then they thought that they had missed a call for me, so they called me back and I didn't have to use the airtime. Top tip, if you ever have to do that. Um, so. Yeah, I'm telling you this in quite a lot of detail because I want to just tell you about its highs and lows, highs and lows. It's not just like, oh, I'm walking with the Lord, everything's going to be amazing. No, but it is going to be so exciting and um, more deeply satisfying than anything else you'll ever experience. So if you're in the middle of this walk, I want to encourage you to keep going. And if you are considering stepping out in some things, I want to encourage you with a few highlights now because I've said some of the bad things, but let me just tell you some of the good things as well that, that await you in this walk. So um, 
you know, as I said, when I started, I gave the Lord six months, and I said um, I, my, my goal was to help 10 people, and my stretch goal was 50 people. Um, but by the time that I handed over the leadership of the organization 12 years later, we had had 2,000 people that had gone through the program and had been able to um, help more than 7,000 uh, people. Um, it's 22 years on now, and it's still going, and um, they've helped over 15,000 people now. So. Isn't God amazing? Also, in those first 12 years, <laughs> in, in those first 12 years, we, we grew from four volunteers to 50 full-time employees um, that we were able to pay for. And we, we moved from a, a, a 3,000 pound turnover uh, income a year to four million um, by the time I handed over. So, so God was not only faithful, he was blessing us. Um, but most importantly, we had the privilege of seeing many, many lives touched and changed through God's love and provision for them. Um, and I just thought I'd just show you a couple of quick examples of the precious people that we got to walk with. Um, so the first one there is Bongiwe. Um, she did, um, oh, if you could just go to the slide before they, sorry, Tim, yeah, that one. Um, Bongiwe is there, she's got the the nursery school, she wanted to start a little, uh, a little nursery for the children who weren't able to go within her community, um, so, you know, before school age, and so we were able to help her, got funding for her, and um, she was able to, we, we, we trained her in business skills, and she was able to start her own nursery. Um, then, um, over the next person we've got there is um, Fundiswa. She was a single mom, desperately trying to provide for her children. Um, had no income at all, um, but she could make these lovely little baby shoes and booties and things. And so we helped her build and grow that business and get into new markets so that she was able to support her family through that. And then lastly, there's Sister's Kitchen, which I just love the name. Um, and um, I just also wanted to show you that because this is the reality of what we were dealing with in South Africa at times, you know. So we were able to um, buy a container so that they could operate out of that container to run a, a, a catering uh, business. We were able to put supplies in there. Believe it or not, there's like stoves and fridges and all of that in that container with electricity. Um, and um, they were able then to do catering for, for local events and community um, functions that happen within their community. And so every person um, that came through, we were able to see the Lord's love at work, the way he connected people in, the way he saw Bongiwe, the way he saw Fundiswa, and was able to bring them in and connect them um, with, with other um, people who were being God's hands and feet and, um, and, and meet their needs. So just to bring this back to, to Hebrews and what we see modeled in the men and women of God, um, we need to listen and keep on listening to the Lord, because it's not just listening first and acting, you, you're listening all the way along. Uh, we, we need to choose to trust him and keep on trusting him all the way, even when it gets hard. And then we also need to step out in faith and act on what we feel that he's saying, because it's only through stepping out that we're actually able to start to see some of the miracles unfold. And I love this quote by Bill Johnson. It's up in my entrance hall, um, and it says, if you live cautiously, all your friends will call you wise. You just won't move any mountains. Um, so now I know I've used quite an extreme example here, 
Um, and the Lord is certainly not calling all of us to quit our jobs. I mean, I'm not doing that at the moment or anything. Um, but we can still enjoy our daily adventure with the Lord in every area of our lives, whether we are at home, with our families, or at work. Um, and hence what you were saying um, this morning, Hannah, um, I thought that was really a prophetic word from the Lord in line with what I was going to share about how um, really it's in our everyday life that God can use us and go on adventures with us. So even take Jacob, for example. So Abraham's grandson, Jacob, um, you know, he was a hero of the faith, but really what was he doing? He was a, he was a shepherd and he looked after, well, you call it a farmer, he looks after the goats and the sheep and all of those things. He, so he had run away because he had been devious and he was now at his uncle's house and was looking after, so he was, he was a businessman. And then he, he, he had to deal with issues around getting married and wanting to marry this one girl, got tricked into marrying the other one, but you know, the whole story went on there, but we're not going to go into all of that now. Um, then he also had argued with his brother and deceived his brother, and so that's why he'd had to run away. And later on, God took him to reconcile with his brother and take him back to the land that he had promised them. Um, and he had to trust God in that. So interwoven in his everyday life of looking after the sheep and the goats, getting married, having a family, arguing with his brother, having to reconcile, God wove an amazing story of faith. And we see how he had to at times wrestle with God, how he had to seek wisdom from the Lord, how he had to seek provision from the Lord, protection from the Lord, just like all of us have to do throughout the li his life. And then how he was held up at the end as a hero of the faith. Um, and, you know, it makes me think as well of just how many of us who, some, how many of us here within our church are, are doctors and teachers who are having impacts on our communities, on people's lives? I think of like a kin who prays before every patient that he sees for God's wisdom so that he's able to, to give godly insight and wisdom when, when he's counseling people. Um, and the Lord has so often guided me as well in the workplace. Um, one time I had a situation uh, with my board who were not Christian and they were auditors and accountants, so you can imagine quite, quite strict. Um, and they, there was an opportunity, this was still in, in South Africa, and there was an opportunity for a partnership with um, a man um, who, who was offering to fundraise and things for us in London, and everyone was quite taken with him, but I had this check in my spirit that said, this is not a guy to be trusted. But how do you say that to a board of directors? Like, oh, I'm just not feeling like God's saying we should be doing this. Uh, that was a bit of a difficult one to, to get over. So prayed um, and try, tried to give my best logical arguments against it um, and eventually just kind of put my foot down and held my ground on that one. And, and I was so grateful to the Lord that I did because um, a year later, turned out that he was fraudulent. Um, another charity that had gone in with him that I knew ended up in years of legal battles and court proceedings because of him, and the Lord had protected us from something like that. Um, and another time um, was just in my own personal development. I was, um, because as the organization was growing, I was so used to being involved in a lot of the day-to-day -day operations, which I found so exciting, and I was designing the products that we were selling and all of that, and, but um, my, my deputy CEO said to me, you know, Liz, you can't keep being the designer as well and being involved in all these things because you're then not able to focus on the bigger picture and where we're going. And 
And I found that really hard. So I remember walking around and around my garden, just wrestling with the Lord on that and going, but, but I like doing that, and why can't I do both? And, and um, my children would call this an airdrop into my brain, just came, and I felt the Lord just say, um, Liz, you can't be either a designer and a CEO. Um, you can't be both, you choose. And it was just so clear to me, and actually, of course, it was the right thing. I, I had to let go of some things to, to move into some other new areas, which was super exciting, um, but again, just God's wisdom in the everyday that, that released so much blessing. So again, just coming back to listen, trust, act. I'm hoping by the end of this, you're going to be having these three words in your head. Um, so just to, as, as, we, as we come into land, um, I'm just, if you have some thoughts in your head that say, I can't because, if you're thinking, I can't because I'm too old, let me just remind you of Abraham and Joshua who were um, um, 75 and 80 when they were called by God. Or our very own David and Margaret who in their 70s went off to Bethel School of Ministry because they felt called by God. Um, or my mom who's sitting here who her and her friend have got, um, she's frowning at me now because I didn't warn her. Um, <laughs> um, her and her friend within the retirement village where she lives have, got, um, have now started a, a monthly um, church service. Um, so where, wherever we are, we, there is opportunity. Or if you're saying I'm too young, let me remind you of the boy with the five loaves and the two fish who partnered with, with Jesus to, to be able to feed the 5,000 people. Or if you're saying, I, my past is too bad and I'm too broken, let me remind you of Rahab. Um, a little bit further in, in Hebrews 11, verse 31, we know that by faith the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. Now, if you don't know the story, you can read it in Joshua 2. But basically, Rahab had protected two Israelite spies that had come in, and Rahab was not an Israelite herself, um, but um, she was living in Jericho. And she had faith and, knew, and, and believed in the power of God, and she knew that the Israelites were going to take her city. And so she said to them, so she protected them, risked her life, but said, please remember me when you come and take the city. Um, and, they, and they did. And when the Israelites conquered it, not only was Rahab protected, but she was also redeemed and restored. And I don't know if you know this part, because I only, when we did this within our group um, a few months ago, I only actually clicked this. But Rahab was the mother of Boaz, of Boaz and Ruth's fame. And as we know, so, so she was redeemed and restored to a place of honor because she, her son um, was, became a wealthy man. He was well-respected at the gates. Um, and um, she was in the, mentioned by name in the lineage of, she was David's great-great-grandmother, um, King David, and she was in the genealogy of Jesus. Um, so, so God put her in a place of honor, not just protection. And, and, and obviously used her as well. So um, even though she was broken when, when she first encountered him. If you're thinking, I'm not trained for this kind of thing, um, I want to remind you that God tends not to use universities but apprenticeship models. Um, if you think of how he did things with the disciples, if you think of, um, of any of the stories in the Bible, really, people learned on the job. That's the model. Um, and if you're thinking, I've tried this before and it didn't work, I'm going to remind you of Joshua, who was in the first round of spies that went out with, 
with Moses, and, um, they, and, and the rest of them said, we, although he and Caleb said, yes, we can take the land, the other ten said, no, we can't. And so um, he, he had to walk around for the next 40 years in the desert with the others, um, and then, but, but he was able then to take that experience and knowledge. And so when the time came that he was made um, the leader of the Israelites, he didn't this time send in spies to spy out the land and see what he trusted God, took him at his word, and his two spies went there to, say, um, to check how they were going to do it, not if they were going to do it. Um, and so, yeah, and then lastly, if you're saying, I'm too scared and I don't know where to start, all of these heroes of the faith, and Joshua, who I've just said, who's probably one of the bravest, um, God had to say to him several times, if you see in Joshua 1 verse 9, have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous, do not be afraid, do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. The truth is that growth in any area of our lives comes through stepping out and trying and then learning from our mistakes and trying again. You know, Ronaldo didn't just kick the football a few times and go, oh no, I've missed, I'm not going to be a football player. No, he carried on. He still practices now. Um, and I just want to end by reading this um, short extract from, I don't know if you've heard of James Clear. He's written a book called Atomic Habits and he has a like a leadership blog, um, and he talks about the danger of aiming for perfection that can hinder us from actually starting. And he tells the story um, of an experiment that was done. So, on the first day of class, Jerry Alsman, a professor at the University of Florida, divided his film photography students into two groups. Everyone on the left side of the classroom, he explained, would be in the quantity group. So they would be graded solely on the amount of work that they produced. On the final day of class, he would tally the number of photos submitted by each student. If they submitted 100 photos, they'd get an A, 90 they'd get a B, 80 they'd get a C, and so on. Meanwhile, everyone on the, on the right-hand side of the room would be in the quality group. So they would be graded only on the excellence of their work. They only needed to produce one photo to get an A, but it had to be a nearly perfect image. At the end of the term, he was surprised to find that all the best photos were produced by the quantity group. During the semester, these students were busy taking photos, experimenting with composition and lighting, testing out various methods in the darkroom and learning from their mistakes. In the process of creating hundreds of photos, they honed their skills. Meanwhile, the quality group sat around speculating about perfection. In the end, they had little to show for their efforts other than unverified theories and one mediocre photo. It is easy to get bogged down trying to find the optimal plan, the fastest way to lose weight, the best program to build muscle, or the perfect idea for a side hustle. We are so focused on figuring out the best approach that we never get around to taking action. As Voltaire once wrote, the best is the enemy of the good. And it's not just art studios where repetition matters. Wherever you put in consistent work and learn from your mistakes, incredible progress is the result. So I just want to encourage you again today, don't miss out on the excitement and the adventure that God has for you. Yes, it will be scary and you'll have to move out of your comfort zone, but the, the joy of joining in with Jesus, of listening to his direction, of choosing to trust him and step out in faith is one of the most rewarding and amazing parts of our, of our journey with him on earth. Um, so as, as Joe comes up now to to lead us in our final worship song. I just want you to take a minute just to 
um, listen to the Lord. Is he speaking to you about something? Is there something that's been on your heart that he's been nudging you about, big or small? And then if there is, um, maybe think about is there, if there's one thing that you can do this week that could help you move towards what it is that he has placed on your heart.